0: Daniel Lazar. Studs explores and honors working. It also honors the life's work of the oral historian and legendary Chicago radio host, Studs Terkel. And in my effort to close the social distance in these trying times, Studs gives me a chance to check in with good, hardworking people and take a deep dive into what they do for a buck. Thank you so much for joining me here. And if you support the mission of Studs and you dig the program, I've got a way for you to show your support. Just head over to patreon.com studs. You'll find the link in the show notes. I offer a range of rewards for your support. Got some goodies there for you. You can get some cool stuff for just a couple bucks. And I want to seize this moment to offer some special thanks to our newest patron, Richie Schwartz, out of Tinseltown, USA, via Madison, via Chicago. Richie, thank you so much for your support of the podcast. You're a real mensch, my friend. And not that you owe me a darn thing. But if I can, one of these days, I hope to suck you onto this here podcast. It makes me feel real good that you're a listener and that you want to contribute to the project. Look, Richie didn't want to take a free ride, but if you need to take the free ride, I get it. I've been on that train. But you can still do your part to help. Leave a review, leave a rating, and tell a pal or two to listen to your favorite episode. This here might be your favorite episode, because this episode of Studs features a conversation with the Bear Radio team, Jill Baton and Julia Jobert. Jill and Julia are, respectively, the CEO and Creative Director of Bear Radio, Berlin's English-language podcasting network. They dive into how and why they devote their work lives to empowering people to realize that their voices and their stories matter. Though, like many of us, They've grappled with crises of confidence. They discuss how they support each other to, in turn, support a fledgling podcasting community here in Berlin. Stay tuned to hear this dynamic duo discuss the bright future of Bear Radio. Hint, hint. They're going to conquer Europe. And then, just for good measure, probably South Africa too. Now in full disclosure... I should probably say that Bear Radio is home to a podcast that I host and produce for my students at the Kennedy School in Berlin. And it dawns on me that in three seasons of Studs, I haven't so much as mentioned my other podcasts. So, here I go. It's called IDEAS, which is an acronym for Identity, Diversity, Empathy, Awareness, and Service. So that gives you a pretty good idea of what we're trying to do, right? Ultimately, we're trying to create a safe, but a challenging space to discuss and to celebrate diversity. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my students. I'm proud that Ideas as part of the Bear Radio community. And so it is, I say, with no exaggeration, a privilege and a pleasure to wrap Season 3 of Studs in conversation with Jill and Julia of Bear Radio. Jill Baton, Julia Jobert, the Bear Radio Squad, thank you so much for joining me here at Studs. How do y'all describe what you do at Bear Radio?
1: It's a difficult one to answer just because we do so much. I think that when it started, it was very much just like an aggregator. Jill Arrived here, she figured that there wasn't enough English language content available, or at least it wasn't easy to find. So she started aggregating podcasts. And the more that she did that, the more that we did that, the more people started reaching out, asking for more. And, you know, saying, where do I get this? How do I do this? Where do the sound engineers live? So we ended up taking on a lot of that work ourselves. But um, that kind of um, led us to the building of this community which is really what we strive to be in every way, whether it's a community that serves corporates or a community that serves the community. That's what we do. We are community builders and, you know, we do our best to kind of help people tell their stories the best way that they can.
0: Well, I'm interested in your story and I'm hoping you could tell it to me the best way you can. I want to know about this origin story. It started as an aggregator and then it became this really if I may say, kind of a splendid and in many ways beautiful community that you all are m- maybe at the center of, if I can be so bold as to say it. So what is the origin story and how do we go from being an aggregator to a bona fide community?
2: Yeah, so... When I started Bear Radio, I didn't really know what I wanted it to look like at the end of the day. (laughs) I knew that I was annoyed at the fact that there were a lot of really talented journalists and producers and hosts living in the city who didn't have an outlet and who didn't have a community for their projects. Like this audio scene here was just dead. There's an amazing music scene, there's beautiful studios, there's beautiful places to learn how to do music production, but not so much with audio production or audio journalism. And I come from California where public radio is huge. I worked at a couple public radio stations during college. And then I lived in New Zealand and I worked at a community radio station there. And I always like whenever I moved somewhere new, I fell into the college radio scene or like the public radio scene. And that's like how I met new people and how I learned how to do this. And I was so excited to find that in Berlin. And then I just showed up and there was nothing. Um, So I went to university here and that's why I came to Berlin. And then I actually, between the two years of my master's studies, I went and worked at NPR and at Deutsche Welle in Washington, D.C., and that's where I got really good at producing audio, learning what needs to be done to produce an audio story. And then I came back, and after I graduated, I was kind of like, well, I guess I have the background now to be able to start something, and it really gave me the confidence to be... You know, a person that can actually do stuff in the city and audio.
1: I I actually have a question for you, and it's a question that I've never actually asked. You speak about like this confidence, right? I have the skills that you have. I have the experience that you have. But I don't know if I would have had the confidence to just go
2: off and do this on my own.
0: Can I just say you totally stole my question, but go ahead.
2: I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the more that I talked to people and the more that I saw people who are like, oh, I don't know anyone else who knows how to put together a podcast, like in this city. And I was like, I don't necessarily have the confidence, but I'm like, well, if no one else is going to do it, (laughs) I guess I'm going to do it instead of just like continuing to bitch about how no one else was doing something. So I don't know if it was confidence or more like need. You know,
1: it sounds like a mix of both. Yeah, you're underselling yourself. And here, I, I, think. I
2: did a a fellowship with a thing here called the Do School. It was a fellowship with uh, Axel Springer and six German radio stations. They brought together a bunch of people, like fellows, without audio experience from around the world, to Berlin to work with these different. I guess stakeholders to make radio cool again, quote unquote. And I was like, girl, try harder um, not to talk badly about anyone. But it was so interesting because we were talking to these like radio executives, these like 65 year old Germans, and they were like, we don't really. Care about innovating. This is more of just a a project to meet our SDGs. Like, we just need you guys to develop a product or a project that makes us look good, but we really have no intention of innovating at all. And that's when I was just like, oh, so like, literally no one else is doing this. And I, like, throughout that fellowship, started developing Bear Radio in my mind. And we had the cool opportunity to talk to all of these different, like, mentors business people, people in the media scene. And the more and more I talked to people, the more and more I realized like it was possible to do this. I initially wanted to make a radio station, but then I learned that having a license for a radio station in Germany costs like 80,000 euros a year. And so <laughs> I just started then talking to my other podcasting friends here in the community like that I had met, because I was like, do you guys wanna hang out? I also like podcasts. <laughs> and I was like, you have a podcast. Is it okay if I put it on this simple webpage that that I made I don't need any monetary anything like I just want to like shout you out and people were really like sure why not it's free publicity so I just aggregated everything that I knew that existed in Berlin and I launched that website on January 1st of 2018 so then very quickly People started like following our social media, following the projects and the different podcasts. And then um, soon after, Julia came on and we started making our own in-house podcast, which was super fun. That was our first was What's the Mata, which Julia hosted.
1: Improv comedy. Improv comedy. Yeah. It's
0: great, by the way.
1: Thank you. You have some
0: listenership among my students.
1: Oh, really? Really? Oh, that makes me happy to hear. I, it's, yeah. Um, But yeah, I think then just to carry on what Jill's saying, I found Jill in March. I think I'd been in Berlin a week and also went hunting for English language radio. I come from a radio background. I was working on a commercial radio station in South Africa for three years. I've been doing radio since 2011. I was also in campus radio. So I got very excited when I found all these podcasts on Bay Radio. And Jill never lets me forget the day that I sent her a very, very formal email being like, hi, this is who I am. This is my CV. This is what I've achieved. Please, will you let me work for you? And she's like, yeah, what's up? I'm American. I'm Come like, have I can't a pay you.
2: What do you want to do? <laughs> and then
1: yeah, we met we we met up at a, a, a co-working space called Sankt Oberholz where I we had a coffee. I paid. I did. I remember that. I paid. I
2: remember. Yeah,
1: I paid. And we just had a chat. And basically I was like, I'm just so incredibly passionate about radio. I love it. It's the love of my life. And I'd love to create with you. And yeah, then we did. And thanks to Jill, I know... I'm in a very happy relationship from a guy I met at Sankt Oberholtz. I don't know. I think Jill, she likes to say it was fine, but I think I was very pushy in the beginning because I could just, I could see the potential of Bear Radio. I could see, like people would reach out to Jill constantly and she's such an incredibly helpful person. She will like drop everything for anyone who asks for help, but it was starting to take a toll on her and I could see that. I could see that she was spending every free moment that she had you know schlepping equipment across the city to other people sitting for hours helping people edit and I was like there's clearly a need here why don't we turn this into something that we could actually share and and also get the community to start giving back she was giving a lot to the community and this
2: and getting bitter and getting
1: quite bitter about it which was sad (laughs) so I became quite pushy in terms of okay let's let's get this thing off the ground let's make it more than just the podcasts and yeah eventually she caved and was like okay fine Julia god you're a Let's do
2: this. I was like, I guess I'll be accountable to someone. <laughs> there are a couple things
0: that you left hanging on the wall that I hope you don't mind my shining a light on. The first is both of you mentioned that you have these long histories with radio, and Julia said you're like really passionate, animatedly so, about radio. Did you both grow up in love with radio? Are there people on your radio, Mount Rushmore? Do you have a podcasting Mount Rushmore? Like, I mean, I'm asking the same question in seven different ways because I don't know what I'm doing, unlike you. (laughs) But I guess I want to know where your love of radio started.
1: Can I go first? Because mine is a lot less interesting than yours. (laughs) Um, So basically in South Africa, because of the history of the country and how new it is and in terms of the levels of of poverty and just the complete lack of money in the country. Radio was always always reigned supreme. Even those of us who are lucky enough, who were privileged enough to, you know, have a television and internet and stuff. It was still so ingrained in an everyday part of our lives. So I listened to radio. I definitely had my favorites. I remember moving from Johannesburg to Cape Town and I missed Johannesburg so much, which now having lived in Cape Town is ridiculous. But um, I moved to Cape Town and... I was still streaming the radio from the sister station in Johannesburg because I was just like, this is rubbish. Why must I listen to Cape Town music? So I definitely had that, but I didn't, there was no real like passion at all. I just, I think I'd always been an entertainer my whole life. I was just the goofy, silly, stupid one who just always wanted to like tell stories and would force my brothers to, you know, put on plays i dressed my dog up i once cut a hole in a pair of pants to shove my dog's tail through so he could be part of my play like that was always me so when i got to university and i had literally no idea what i was gonna do i had signed up for anthropology linguistics mandarin like media studies i got a first for mandarin jill i don't remember any of it but i got a first um I was just like i don't know what the hell i'm gonna do and we have a plaza week at the university of cape town which is essentially like a week where all the different societies are on like the main plaza and right in the middle was uct radio and i just looked at this and i was like i mean like honestly what have i got to lose like this just this looks like fun and it just looked like a cool community to be a part of um so I signed up for it and fell in love from the second that I got into it. It was the most wonderful surreal experience of just being welcomed into this family of like weird, loud, funny quirky super knowledgeable super opinionated people you know it was just it's this this thing this feeling of community that was created i met my my best friend through that i got into radio i remember doing those late nights and it didn't matter what time of the morning i was on just put me on like what it put me behind the mic and let me talk so mine it somehow just developed maybe an element of
2: narcissism there where i just love the sound of my own voice Um, but you also got put on at like midnight shifts or three in the morning right Yeah, when I was on commercial radio, I was
1: working for three years. I did either midnight to 4 a.m. or 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. I didn't sleep for about three years. Um, (laughs) I love radio, but not that much. (laughs) But I freaking, are you allowed to swear in this podcast? I I loved it so fucking much. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it was every time I remember just being miserable at having to like stand up and wake up and go at like three in the morning. And when I was there, when the mic was on and in that beautiful studio, ah, and I could just talk and I could share. And then I got involved with talk radio as well. So I was producing, being able to like actually construct these stories. I remember hearing the story that I'd constructed go live and everyone was sobbing. And I was so proud of myself because the whole point was to make people feel something and everyone was crying and it just felt so good. So I don't know, like Jill's definitely got her heroes for me. I think just the medium itself Was
2: the hero for me
0: Alright Jill you've been all set up Who are your heroes then
2: (laughs) Yeah like I really like Julia's story Because I think the thing is you don't always have to just like follow in someone else's footsteps, you can figure out that you really like this on your own without idolizing people and trying to imitate them. And so you can make up your own style of what you're doing as well, which I really like with a lot of the people that we meet through these workshops who are like, oh, I don't really listen to podcasts. I just want to make one. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that'll be interesting to see because I've been so conditioned to want to sound like the people that I idolized growing up that I sometimes wonder if like, I'm just a product of other people that I've heard.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Deep.
1: no you're not anyways you're unique.
2: Um, I mean I grew up always listening to radio my dad worked at PBS oh. uh, as a master control operator and he was a cameraman for the news for a long time so I spent a lot of my time growing up In PBS like studios and in TV stations and stuff like this. And I remember he worked the graveyard shift. So I would like go party with friends in high school and then go sleep like under the desks in San Francisco because it was really warm. And he would like have a sleeping bag there. And then we'd come home in the morning at like six in the morning. But yeah, so just like there was always radio playing there. There was always public radio playing in my house. And so I just always was listening to stuff. And then. Also, like, during high school, got really into Live 105, which is, like, a rock and alternative music station. And it was literally my dream job to be a DJ on Live 105. And I actually, like, tweeted that. And one of the DJs I listened to growing up retweeted me. And I was like, yes! (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so... Uh, I started working in college radio stations and I did like volunteering at Calyx in Berkeley over the summer. And the first time, like my friends tuned in and listened to me on the radio I and like that. recorded themselves listening to my voice. <laughs> and then at one time, so I also did this in New Zealand. I was a Newsy. And one time, like I screwed up the live read. And my family that I was staying with there apparently was recording so excited. And on the video, you hear me go, oh no, like after a pause (laughs) on the radio with like hundreds of thousands of (laughs) listeners. And I listen back to those recordings and I'm like so rigid. I'm like so terrified because I'm just, I'm literally shaking. Is that the live read for like an advert? Or like a live read for the news headlines? Oh,
1: I fucked up an advert once and then I just got like a flood
2: of text messages (laughs) making fun of me. And you're like, and once you're just like your voice, once you've messed up and you're just like, all my friends are listening and they're gonna make fun of me. But anyway, so after that and that I came to Berlin I just continued trying to find radio, but I've just always loved radio. And then it was so crazy because I ended up being a production assistant at All Things Considered. And I had to be in pitch meetings with like Ari Shapiro, Audie Cornish, Robert Siegel, and all these people. And the first time like Audie Cornish came around a corner, I went, oh my God, (laughs) like to her. And then I had to sit in like pitch meetings with them and I was so scared and they were so nice. But like, it was really cool, and my my desk was right next to Carl Castle's, like, old office. Oh, and he, really? He was so nice. He, like, would totter in. He's, like, since passed away. Yeah, just, like, being, like, working at NPR, going to all the Tiny Desk concerts, like, being in there and watching, like, Ari Shapiro interviewing, like, Rod Stewart and people like this was just, like an extremely surreal experience. I could have stayed there and continued working at NPR, but I really wanted to finish my master's degree. So I had to come back to Berlin after a certain amount of time. And I don't regret that because I think that, like, I really love what we're doing with Bayer Radio. And I think that if I was to work at NPR, like, it's a really cool job. But I think there's only so much you can grow in a position like that, especially, Mm. like, if you're not like a trained, trained journalist. Like I was doing public policy at the time. So I was like, well, I could either be a production assistant for the next 15 years <laughs> or just like, and like live in DC, which I li- really liked doing, or I can come back to Berlin, finish my master's degree and make something. Yeah. Good choice.
0: I'm glad you chose the letter. It's a great choice. I have just one small question. Did you ever ask Carl Castle to put his voice on your home answering machine?
2: Oh my God, no. It was just like my biggest regret. I was like, I love Carl Castle so much. I would also maybe get like Paula Poundstone on my home answering machine, but we'll see.
0: So I could ask you a thousand questions about your time at NPR, but mostly it's because I just want to hear you drop all of these names that are very important to me. (laughs) One thing our listeners are experiencing, surely, is how well you two support each other, how well you pivot off each other. And frankly, how much it's so evident that you all like each other. Um, I'm inspired by that. I'm also really interested in teamwork. I'm interested in duos. Uh, You brought up PBS. Maybe uh, Bert and Ernie was the first duo that really meant a (laughs) lot to me. Uh, Since then, you know, Lennon McCartney, Thelma Louise, Bacon and Eggs. These are all really important (laughs) duos. I'm bacon. (laughs) Can you talk to me about the nature of your work? together how you all play off each other and play with each other
2: yeah so I think that our first project of working together was with what's the mata and sure I think there's been snags along the way but I think at the core of it Julia and I both really enjoy doing this and like dorking out about this stuff so I think that you know you've always got each other's back Mm -hmm. i think is like one of the biggest things and that you trust each other because i'd had a lot of people approach me to want to work with me and i was like well what can you do and they're like i love podcasts and i'm like well that i literally i don't need that (laughs) so julia came through and she was like i can produce i can host i could do all of this stuff and i was just like thank god (laughs) someone who's not like can you teach me all of this for free Mm. (laughs) um And so when Julia was like, I want to make a show, I was like, go off, do whatever you want. And so then we just started making What's the Mata. And it was a really like from the beginning, I think it was a pretty set workflow Mm. for that where Julia was mostly in charge of content and people because it was all her improv fans. I would like organize our studio time and then do like the post-production And for a lot of our projects, it's kind of stayed that way. But Julia also has the chops to do all the post-production too. So especially with like big wigs for now, like we both do a lot of the editing and send the projects back and forth. Um, But I know that in a pinch, either of us could do the post-production. Can
0: you talk to me about the collaborative nature of just that? Like, I'm curious about how you can collaborate on a particular project when you perhaps have not the precise same vision.
1: I think that weirdly, we do. (laughs) Um, I think that Jill and I are very similar in that regard. But at the same time, I think what's been really good for us from the very beginning, we were very, very honest with each other about what our strengths were. And, you know, even though we can both do everything, we also know like what we're both better at and also what we enjoy doing more. So that honesty has kind of like carried through into everything that we do, including, you know, when, you know, if one of us is having like a rough day to kind of just be honest about it and say, hey, I know that this was my deadline or whatever, I... I don't think I can. Could you take it over? Or the other person, we're also very intuitive and uh, like Jill will know if I'm not holding up or I'll know if she's not holding up and we'll just pick up the slack where needed. But, well, we've definitely had situations where, you know, Jill will send me the first round of edits and I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Like, I I don't agree with this or I don't think that this works here. And she will give me the time of day to let me explain myself and explain what my vision was. And... She will then either concede and say, yeah, actually, you're right. That does make sense. It does sound better. Or she'll say, well, this was the vision that I was going for. And this is what I this was my bigger picture. You know, are we on the same page? And more often than not, we'll end up on the same page, either with keeping it as it was or changing it. And there's never I think the important thing for us is that there's never any hard feelings there. There's never like, I mean, Jill might be a bit butthurt if I'm like, what the fuck is that? But she knows at the end of the day, I'm not saying that because i think her work is bad i'm saying that because i don't see that working in like the way that we're trying to tell the story she gets very excited with sound effects (laughs) and it goes it just sometimes goes to the the extreme it's true and we're like talking about like
2: record scratch sound record scratch
1: sound effects when we're talking about like the airlift in (laughs) Temple of the third
2: um and especially for stuff like that we're always thinking about what the listeners one
1: yeah that's such a good point i think at the end of the day we're good at doing that about like stepping back and being like okay i know what i like i know what you like but what are we actually trying to say and what do we want the listener to take from this that's the important thing is what the listener takes away um and we definitely inject all of our production with a little flair of our own Mm -hmm. um but we're always very clear when we start projects as to what like set the intention What do you want people to feel? What do you want them to get out of it? What do you want them to learn from it? It's just constant, incessant communication is what we have.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, and you both seem to communicate so competently, to say the very least. I, I enjoy listening to you both in person and on your podcasts. Communication is really central to part of the mission of Bear Radio, which is to teach people, either through the workshops that you hold or the consultancies that you offer. And I'm wondering if you could take a moment to describe for me what went into the creation of the curricula for the Bear Radio workshops. Hmm. It seems like you have uh, some intensives and you can do some maybe more uh, one-on-one things you can sort of tailor make curricula but the general program that you all have created how did you create that and how has it evolved since you first created it
2: maybe to start we can just give a shout out to our friend blake because (laughs) that's true (laughs) once julia and i were figuring out what we wanted to do with these workshops we're both perfectionists julia more than me i would say and we just kept trying to perfect and perfect and perfect this curriculum. And really, it seemed like such a big picture that we needed to figure out what was going on with it. And we had a meeting with our friend Blake, i.e. like a therapy session at Bramble At Bramble Jill's <laughs> favorite place. Yeah. And he was like, just do it. Mm. <laughs> just like start teaching. Set yourself a goal. Teaching. Two weeks, go. Yeah. Start teaching. Go and do it. Like the worst thing that happens is no one shows up, but then it's practice. Um, so we really took that to heart. And I think within like a month we had a workshop.
1: No, it was two weeks. It was two weeks. We limited ourselves to two weeks. We had one, we we gave ourselves enough time to, to advertise it and see how many people we could get. And then we did it. And yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, if I may be so bold as to say, I think I kind of took on that responsibility. We've, I think mm-hmm. since in our like business planning and how we see the future and stuff, it's kind of been decided that I head up the creation of the curriculum. Jill will definitely like send me things and be like, hey, this is something interesting. Have you read this article? Or this is this new, you know, especially with a marketing and monetization course, you know, things are always changing. That's the algorithm is forever changing. It's important to kind of stay up to date. So I knew all this stuff inherently, but I've never been a teacher. So it was really hard in the beginning i was like oh you just do it but i'm like okay well i can't just tell them to just do it i have to explain it okay how do i explain it i need the words um so i drew on a lot of other resources um to help me find the words that i needed to explain something that to me was just an innate ability but to other people they really needed the step by step so in the beginning we kept it really basic i developed a course for what we called finding your voice so how to how to actually tell your story interestingly and how to say it well and tell it well um so hosting skills and then we had an editing one as well people would come to those and they're like okay well but how do i how do i actually get this up onto a platform or how do i market this or what gear am i actually supposed to invest in so it really started small and then snowballed the more demand there was we were developing this curriculum for like a two and a half hour three hour session and people would keep us for another hour and a half after class asking more and more and more and obviously jill and i being who we are there was no kicking them out um (laughs) so we answered as many questions as we could and then a lot of people were saying okay you know well when is the next round of courses coming and At that point, we hadn't really considered an intensive, but realized, you know, there's clearly a demand. People need a start to finish package. Somebody who drops in for the editing one missed the finding your voice. And then they're frustrated because, you know, yes, now they can edit, but how the hell do they tell their story? So we then put that together as as a package. And but before every new session, I go in, well, we go in and we reassess what there is what needs updating what needs cutting we send out feedback forms after everyone as well and we really do take that to heart I remember the f- <laughs> one of the first recording and editing workshops we had we I was convinced I was like cool we'll have like 10 people oh, God. 24 people showed up Whoa. and there were just two of us and our workshops are incredibly interactive and I think that was that was the most important thing for us is to be really hands-on in everything that we do doesn't matter which. What we're studying, but obviously the recording and editing one was particularly hands-on and usually Jill kind of heads that one up and then I am pretty much like the air hostess kind of showing everyone how to use everything. Um, And thankfully we had enough equipment to divide people into like groups of like six or eight or something. And, you know, the feedback from that was like, that's too many people. We can't do this. You know, you need, we need to either need more teachers or you need to limit the the capacity. You know, the very next one that we did, we limited, it at 15 people and we broke it into two separate courses. So now we've got two different editing courses so that people actually have enough time to, to, to learn rather than, because we know a lot of this is just like shoving a lot of information down people's throats. Does that answer your question? It does. It does.
0: And I want to take a deeper dive into one thing you said, which is that you have somehow learned to help people to find their voices. And I find that to be a really powerful skill. It's a a very powerful promise. And I'm wondering, as a, a high school teacher myself, helping people to find their voice is really what defines my day job Mm. and I'm wondering if you could share with me some lessons you've learned about helping people to find their voice
2: in Germany doing this where the media landscape is so singular like there's really not that much diversity in the media landscape here and one of the main things I wanted to focus on with bear radio was diversifying this media landscape here in the country and not just Germany but in Europe Also, you know, like in places like South Africa and the States, like there's been a lot of diversity in the voices that you hear on the radio. And I think that's coming both from the bottom and from the top. And I think that really from the top in Germany, there's no intention to diversify anything. And so... We've really been working with people with minority backgrounds, how to tell their stories. And it's so interesting because especially with people from minority backgrounds, like we'll be working with someone. They'll be like, oh, but there's already a podcast from someone of my background in Germany. And I'm like, do you know how many white dudes are talking about tech in this city? Hmm. And they have no interesting stories, but they find a way to open their mouths and just gab, gab, gab. So I think it's really giving people the confidence to tell their story when they even have been told so long that it doesn't matter and that it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be heard and that they're always going to be a background character to someone else's story. So I think it's it's giving people the chutzpah <laughs> to tell their own story and and equipping them with the skills to tell it in a way that's engaging, entertaining, and educational.
1: And I think the act of doing that is what i find to be one of the most rewarding things i don't want to speak for you but i've seen it in you as well just in jill's inherent nature to just want to help constantly and i think that's something that we both have and i say this in every single like class that we have or every intensive i'm so incredibly inspired by the people and their stories that oftentimes they think that I'm either lying, but then they figure out that I'm not lying. And then somehow we became best friends and are now like friends forever. Um, Because I do, it doesn't matter if you're talking about like your grandmother's story or the production of bricks, like somehow I get incredibly invested in it. And I think it's important for people to know that their stories are important. And we really do push. And oftentimes our sessions become therapy sessions because- people always come to us with an idea and then think their idea is enough and an idea is something but it's not enough like i want to get to the root of it i want to know why like why are you doing this and 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 i the thing that i've now just stopped caring like i don't care who you are you could be the president you could be like some person next door, I am going to push you hard for your why. And that's one of the first things we do in our courses is people will be like, oh yeah, I want to talk about this because everyone else is talking about it. I'm like, well, why do you want to talk about it? Where does the passion lie? And all of a sudden we get to the root of it and the real meat of the story, which is like their connection to that story. And the moment that you open that box up, they can run forever. That's when the true genius and the beauty comes out. And what we constantly try and reiterate here with Bay Radio is that, everyone does have a story to tell they just need to be provided with the the tools to be able to tell that story and have the confidence to believe that they can tell that story and especially being in berlin like joe said we've got so many people from different different backgrounds different nationalities the big question obviously being like okay well i'm not white or i'm not german or i don't my english isn't that good or i don't give a fuck make your make it in spanish You know, make it in whatever language you would like to make it in because your voices are important. I struggled with this for so long, and I think I still do a little bit, if I'm honest, about like just being a woman and, you know, the stigma around female voices in radio and how we are sound too young or too whiny or, you know, it doesn't matter what we say or how educated we are. It just doesn't hold the same resonance as like a deep male voice when it's said, So having that experience and knowing that I'm trying to overcome that, I then get very passionate about helping other people overcome it, you know, letting them know that their stories are valid, their voices are valid. And also then, if we're honest, also telling people when their ideas are crap and that it's not valid. (laughs) No, that hardly ever happens. We only ever help people pivot when we realize that they're imitating somebody else and some other story because they think that's what people want to hear. It exists already. So let's make something different.
2: And, and that's really how we approach everything, because there's even people who will come into our workshops and immediately be like, well, how do I make money off of it? And I'm like, if that's your goal, honey, <laughs> you're in the wrong place. <laughs> so we're more focusing on helping people make the good content and being like, if you're really just coming into this for money and you don't really have a story to tell, then I think you're in the wrong field.
0: Yeah. Hey, Julia, can I just say that I'm really grateful for like every beat? of that response you gave. That was really, um, that did a lot for me. So thanks. Thank you. And it sounds like it all adds up to a lot of work, right? Bringing to your work, the level of empathy Mm. that's necessary to help people to tell their stories, but also to give them the technical chops to be able to do it independently. It's a lot of work. So much so that I'm going to posit that your work doesn't have much end. (laughs) And it's great that you can, work together, that you can support each other. But at the same time, it seems like an endless stream of work. And it's all of the stuff that you that you do that you've talked a bit about, but then there's publicizing it, advertising for it, getting butts in seats, which doesn't seem to be like too much of a problem for y'all. But it seems like a lot of work, and it seems like a lot of work in projects that never quite end. And as someone who's kind of new to this uh, this world of projects that seem to have no end. I'm wondering if you could talk with me a little bit about how you juggle the different pieces of the Bear Radio Project in a way that kind of keeps at least most of those balls in the air most of the time.
2: Maybe I can just start with what we're doing now with Big Wigs. Um So when Julia and I decide to start doing a new podcast or start a new season of something, we give ourselves an end and we give ourselves like a very lofty timeline to make it so that at the end of the day, we're not rushing to put everything together the midnight before it comes out. Julie and I are spacing this podcast out every two weeks, and we have everything recorded way in advance. We're only making six episodes to start, so we know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think we always recommend our students to do this as well. That
1: said, like if we have a second of downtime, we will fill it. Yeah, like the moment that we finished, we were doing the Corona Diaries, which was a twenty-four hour turnaround for each episode, including everything, including interview scripting, editing. It was like we were we were we were doing interviews like an hour before we were releasing the next episode. Like it was intense. And that really it keeps us going and it feels us because the moment that that finished, I think we I had a week. I had one week and I messaged Jill. I was like, Jill, I can't. I need more. Like we need to do. We need to create. Come, let's sit down. Let's, and we brainstormed. And that's then how we came up with Berlin Bigwigs and another podcast that we're going to start releasing in January. So I think a huge part of it is the in- constant need to work. Yeah. <laughs> um. The trick is obviously finding balance. But sorry, I interrupted.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I exactly. And I think as far as our intensives, we always schedule them pretty far out. And we've really found a timing for those intensives. I think that works for us. They're on the weekends. They're broken up in a certain way. I guess it depends for corporate clients, like the timing for that. Some of
1: them need their stuff like tomorrow, you know, like by just knowing that this like this medium is ever changing and ever growing. And I don't see myself like fizzling out in terms of not wanting to do it anymore um I mean we both freelance so it's the challenge of a freelancer to try and strike a balance and know that like it's okay to have some off days but it's a really good question because yeah. you know how what do you do with a thing that you can just make forever and do forever but I think the most important thing and I'll also give this shout out to Blake again for that advice on actually factoring in time to live right in your work right. and and remind yourself that that is actually valuable and important because otherwise everything else just falls to shit and you start to resent it and i'm still still grappling with that i'm still trying to jill was like hanging out with me over the weekend and she was freaking out because she just like kept putting out her laptop and like wanting to check things and i'm like we said we wouldn't work today right. and she's like no i know just just one more thing just one more thing i'm like jill let's play you know It's just chill. It's just hang out. I know. And it's hard. It's It's really hard. hard.
2: And I think that both of us are also figuring out, like Julia said, you need to like build out time off. Like if you had a normal job and I'm like, we could probably take most of January off, but knowing us, we're going to be like, do you want to do a twenty four hour turnaround podcast? No, 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 But like, scheduling in time off, I think, yeah. is really important too. And this is something with any like creative freelancer, it's like you, we get it. You like what you do, but you also like are a person beyond that.
1: Yeah. And it's something that we're we're so much better at teaching than doing. But it's something that we make sure people factor in as well when we especially in those first courses, we speak about like road mapping and developing an honest true timeline to this production because people are like I'm excited I'm gonna go let's make 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 and I'm like okay but you have a dog and as far as I understand you're married and as far as I understand you also have another full-time job and are we just discounting all of those things and we just it's just podcast like no no no. I can fit it in And I'm like I don't want to be the bearer of bad news but something's got to give and like I don't want it to be your podcast so like be honest about what you have if gym is important to you factor in that to your time of actual production know that like this is going to take a bit longer because you can't dedicate just 15 hours on a saturday to banging out a podcast episode it affects the quality of what you do as well so that's what we tell people it's yet to become what we do regularly we're, we're getting better
0: that was way too close to home. Like you actually hit all of my anxious <laughs> notes. Like, oh, you like going to the gym? Oh, you have a kid? Oh, you have another job? And hey, 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 a little personal. <laughs> but but that's exactly <laughs> the problem which animated my question. I You mentioned this, but I just wanted to hear one of you talk a little bit more about this. It's completely evident that you love what you do. And we want to just keep on doing the things that we love. We're all very lucky here. We get to do what we love for work. But that does make it infinitely more difficult to draw those boundaries. Do you have any thoughts, meditations, or advice on that, should I call it a problem?
2: (laughs) I mean, this sounds really basic, and this has been one of those things that people are like, Now that you're working from home, it's important to follow these tips. But I think just turning your computer off at a certain point during the day, I don't know if that's too basic, but I think that's something that's been really helping me. We also aren't available to everyone all the time. And that's something that I've learned is that I don't need to respond to every single message within 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like I am not beholden to the community in a way that I need to be there on call for them 24-7. I've really
1: had to step in as um, Bear Radio's bouncer with, in this regard, um, which is funny because if you see me or meet me, I'm like, sure. I, I look like a 12 year old child. <laughs> um, but like, that is, it's something that I, I don't know where I got the skill from and, and the ability to kind of say no. Cause I think in many regards, I can't say no. But I've definitely gotten better at saying no. And I think that is such a valuable tool to have and something that I am i haven't yet imparted onto Jill, but I've then taken the role of her protector in that sense, <laughs> yeah. because people really do, you know, you, you give a finger, they take more than an arm often. And it never comes from a place of malice or taking advantage. It's just, you know, people are desperate for help and they see that we are willing to give it. You know, if I've committed to the weekend off, I've committed to the weekend off and I don't, I just don't look at my phone. Um, But every now and again, I'll pop in and I'll see an email before Jill does. And I'm like, Jill, do not reply to this. It's Sunday. And she's like, yeah, but, but I was like, no, I saw it. I read it. I know about it. Do not reply to this. Or, you know, she'll then she she'll screenshot emails that I've already seen and send them to me like at 11 o'clock at night. And I kind of have to be like, don't. Or she'll be like, oh, but now this person needs me to cycle here and do this. And I'm like, no, you're not doing it. You're doing them a favor. Make them come to you. Sometimes I feel like a bit of an asshole, but (laughs) it sets up these boundaries that are so important for us both to have so that we don't start to resent this community that we've built. You know, it goes against everything that we stand for if it starts to piss us off. But in order to do that, we do often have to, you know, lay down some ground rules. So I think that's incredibly important in all the work that you do, especially if you are a creative, if you're a freelancer, you know, people love to pick your brain. And all of a sudden people are picking your brain all day, all night. And, you know, we kind of have to learn when we can just help and when it hurts us when we do that.
0: I think it's genuinely special how you both support each other and try to help each other draw boundaries, but you also very much inspire one another and you inspire one another for what is in my humble estimation, a really cool and ambitious project. I think that the bear community that you all have created is really remarkable. Not only does it fill a void, in the the broader media landscape in Berlin. But it gives a lot of people a chance to, as you said, to find and to do their best to express their voice. So I'm super supportive of it. And I can't thus help but ask, what are your ambitions for Bear? What's the dream of Bear Radio in the next two, five, 25 years?
2: There's a few different, like, parts of the Venn diagram of (laughs) ambition so if it was up to me all I would be doing with my life was like producing podcasts and just making stuff but then now we kind of have this community that we want to upkeep and that we want to keep teaching and I think that our goal or at least my goal for Bear Radio has always been something kind of similar to like Pineapple Street Studios or something where we work with corporates to make podcasts that then the funding from that subsidizes making really cool stuff with really interesting people like our pet projects that we want to make and also have like a community and educational arm to continue building up people and new voices in the community. But it's always been something that's self-sustaining, producing really awesome content from Europe um, and then teaching just like a new generation of people how to do this stuff. Mm. I think to add to that, uh, we you know, when Bear Radio started, it was
1: for Berliners, by Berliners. It is now spread across most of Europe. And I think a huge aim, at least in the next five years, is to kind of get into as many european spaces as possible and then potentially you know move abroad as well you know we have um other podcasts you know from you know about europe but from the states um but i think especially in the community building and the teaching it's something that i'm particularly interested in doing is actually taking this you know maybe being able to take it back home see if i could take it back to south africa and um you know impart this knowledge and you know develop a team of of teachers there who could then kind of carry the baton for us there what we really want is just to kind of have a central hub and then just Mm -hmm. all these arms of you know people imparting this knowledge skill sharing and just giving people the ability to tell their stories and a studio man i'd kill (laughs) for our own studio i would yeah
0: i see it in your future (laughs)
2: <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> like, I think it was always one of our goals to have, like, a space. And for now, Pirate Studios has been awesome. We've been using them. But at a certain point, it would be so nice to have, like, a little community space with a studio, a place where we could do workshops, hold events. That'd be lovely. Yeah. A little community center for podcasting would be amazing. Oh, my God. I know.
1: i just cry the whole time because i just be so inspired the whole time. <laughs>
0: I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a gambling man. Indeed I am. If I were to lay down a bet, I I would bet on you too. I would definitely bet on you too. There's most decidedly a world where you are able to create a physical community space once this bullshit pandemic is over with <laughs> because people desperately want to tell their stories. Hmm. And it's not, as you said, always out of narcissism, it is part of our basic human condition. And people seek people like you who help to empower them to realize that their stories matter. And particularly the people whose voices are often drowned out, perhaps by people who look a bit like me. (laughs) There's a lot of space for the two of you to give agency to those people's stories. And I'm damn near certain that if it's what you want, you're gonna have it. And you love stories and I love stories. So before I let you go, I'll have to ask you for two. I'd like to ask you for the story of one professional triumph and one professional failure. And if you could start with the story of failure, the challenge, if you will, So that we could end on a note of triumph.
2: I think maybe for me, my failure was when I was like, and I don't know if it's a failure, but I think it was like a failure to see my own boundaries. I think when Julia came on and became my bouncer and I was spending every weekend at a studio helping people and like not putting myself not even first, like just close to last. And I was getting really bitter about the community and I was getting really bitter about my own inability to say no. I was just getting really sad. Cause I was like, this will never be what I wanted it to be. I'm just giving all of myself for this and I'm broke. <laughs> and then Now things are a lot, a lot, a lot, like, degrees, degrees, degrees better. But I think that was just, like, maybe not a failure, but just, like, a a thing I needed to realize about myself that, like, I need to stand up for myself more. Even, like Julia said, if people aren't coming from a place of malice, like, people will use you if you don't stand up for yourself. I... Failure
1: is quite a big word. And I don't know if I view any of my career choices at least (laughs) in the realm of radio as failures or I think yes for sure a couple mistakes I fried an entire like million (laughs) rand sound studios thing once with a glass of water they were about to replace it anyway so it's okay (laughs) it wasn't a million rand it just was a lot of money um and I've I've overslept and I've you know I've I've missed an email and I've miss, definitely missed opportunities. But I do think, if anything, something if I wish I did anything differently, it would be. And I think it kind of maybe piggybacks off yours. I just wish I had the confidence to have done this sooner. You know, I for a long time, I was working multiple jobs because I didn't ever think that this was something that would actually work and it didn't outwardly say it or feel it but I think if I was honest with myself internally I didn't fully believe that this was something that I could make a living from doing and that has changed and I think the only thing I would have done differently is have gotten to that point of like self-assurance sooner and just taken that leap and been like fuck it you know because what's the worst that can happen the worst that can happen is I have to pick up another job again yeah because who knows where I could have been
2: had I done this a yeah. little earlier. Yeah. Same. Now we're old. We're so old now. <laughs> we're not old. We'll never be on Forbes 20 under 20.
0: <sighs> I was actually going to <laughs> mention okay. to you both, you you probably only have a couple of weeks or months to live.
1: Yeah, yeah fuck it. I knew it. I knew For it.
0: which I'm sorry. Can I say, though, that <laughs> I think that the challenges that you both describe having in maybe your younger years with self-assurance and confidence and how you've uh, managed to grapple with those challenges. And to some degree, it seems overcome those challenges. It seems to me that that is going to be invaluable in helping you to empower other people to overcome those same challenges and to find their voices so that they could tell their stories, but also to help them overcome whatever hangups they might have uh, in an effort to wrap their minds around the technical dimensions of producing a podcast. Like, that was, for me, one of the biggest hurdles. Like, like I think I have a voice in a way. Um, I think I have stories to tell. But I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to, like, touch the keyboard in a way that's <laughs> going to make the fucking magic happen. And while <laughs> there is difficulty to it and there's an art to it, with supportive instructors like yourselves and with the internet always there to inform and misinform us, like people can do it. And so I'd like to think that whatever struggles we've had with confidence will help us to inspire other people to go about telling their stories and and learning the things that they need to learn to do that. And I'm really happy for you both thank that thank you've you. been able to take those turns. That's some bona fide... Success and I like that, and I need that. I need those stories in days like these. Like that shit keeps me going. Mm -hmm. So, thank you for that, and thank you for all of the work that you put to developing this bear community. Like I said, I think it's real special, and I think you all have a lot to be proud of. And for that reason, it's been a real pleasure, and I dare say an honor having you on my humble little podcast here. Thank you for being on Studs.
2: Thank you for having us. It was really fun. Yeah, thank you for having us and thank you for reaching out. It was like a therapy session.
1: It felt really good. (laughs) But yeah, I think from, from my side, just in closing to answer the success, I think that I can speak for both of us in saying that this, like being able to have, you know, these shared experiences and these moments where we realize, you know, that. What we do has an impact, and that people benefit from it, and people get to go and like create and tell their stories and and have this confidence that they didn't have before it makes all of all of this worth it for us, all the failures or mistakes or whatever it's all all down to this this incredible community that we've managed to surround ourselves with Hear, here. here here here
0: here That's Jill and Julia, my friends. I learned a lot. And I developed a more rich and nuanced appreciation for the community that they work assiduously to develop. They're amazing. They're magnifying people's voices. It's powerful stuff. I hope you found some powerful stuff in Season 3 of Studs. This here podcast has been a bona fide labor of love, emphasis on love, Every season brings with it a host of challenges and opportunities. I'd like to think that every season gets better. I'm continuing to learn, but most importantly, I'm relishing the opportunity to connect with people during a time where disconnection seems to reign supreme. This podcast has been doing my soul good. And I hope it's been doing something for you. I want to thank all of you for your kind words and your support as I tinker with this experiment. I'm genuinely grateful to know that there are people out there who share my curiosities and my passions. Thank you one and all for listening. Already working on season four, I promise you have a lot to look forward to. So you'll hear from me in a couple of weeks. Until then, please be kind to each other. Try to be empathic. Show some love.